In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be here at Holy Trinity on this second Sunday of Lent. And uh, I uh, want to say that as uh, Bishop Coadjutor, uh, I am very honored to be uh, following in the footsteps of my dear friend, our bishop and moderator, Bishop Don Harvey, who sends his greetings today. He is actually at St. John's Newfoundland today and already received an email, and I know he has you very much on his heart today. He says the weather's good today, which is always a bonus. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a delight to be here. I wanted to say that this is a time of transition, as you know. And uh, I uh, would value greatly your prayers. Uh, and as I pray for you, this is a, a, a thing that we're all going through. And uh, come June 29th, Bishop Don Harvey will prayerfully transfer the spiritual authority from himself to me which is a very weighty thing and something which I, uh, you know, again, would really appreciate your prayer. I know for you here in this parish, um, your relationship with Bishop Don is particularly special and important, and I know that's going to be ongoing. That won't stop as of July 1st. And I know he feels good about that, and I certainly do as well. So it's good to be here today, and... uh, I want to speak for a few moments about the uh, gospel reading, which uh, has just been read. <coughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting one. I don't know uh, if you uh, uh, find it somewhat disturbing, but you might. It's a little bit disturbing because uh, Jesus seems to be unresponsive to the need of a dear woman in res- regards to her daughter. Uh, it's, it's, uh, in fact, the trail gets worse because eventually he even says it's not right to take the bread of children and give them to the dogs, implying that, in fact, that's this woman and her daughter. And we think, oh my goodness, what is this all about? Now, I want to suggest to you it's not about the fact that Jesus is unmoved about this woman. It's not about the fact that he's unresponsive or doesn't care. It is about the fact that he's interested in drawing out a confession of faith which this woman made. And in fact, the end of the passage ends with Jesus. I think, I don't know if he jumped up and clicked his heels or whatever, but there's something of a yahoo. This is amazing. This is what it says. Oh, woman... Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. There was nothing aloof or unresponsive of Jesus at all. In fact, what he was doing in this conversation with the appearance of being unresponsive was in fact to draw out this testimony of faith which this woman gave. And it was Jesus' joy to applaud it and say, way to go, 
your daughter is going to be Ill, healed, and she was immediately. Now the flow of the passage is this way. They're in Tyre and Sidon, which is in the sort of northwest, north of Galilee. It's a famous part of the world. Great shipping and, and transportation area. And so Jesus is in foreign territory as a Jew. Not surprisingly, it's a, it's a Canaanite, a Gentile, who approaches him. And it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, she's crying. She's obviously moved. She's very worried. And when she describes him as Lord, son of David, she's acknowledging the fact that she gets it as to who he is. He's the Messiah, the one that all the Old Testament scriptures of Jewish faith had been anticipating and looking forward to. And she's saying, I know you're the one. I know you're the one. Now have mercy on my, me and my daughter who's, who's oppressed by a demon. Interestingly, it says, verse 23a, but he did not answer her a word. Just seemed to carry on. Not a word. His disciples, in typical fashion, you know, always the foil for getting it wrong. I love the disciples because I relate to them. And so it is that they said, uh, the disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. In other words, this silence thing, Lord, is not working. You've got to be a little more directive. Tell her to hit the road. There's no time for her. Jesus answered and said, obviously addressing to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Point well taken. The Lord is strategic. It's not that he doesn't care about everybody else, but it was through the line of Abraham and David that Jesus was to come and to win salvation. And so his ministry was to be focused on this people, not because he didn't care about anyone else, but because that was the plan. Point well taken. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. I think what she was saying, I get this strategy thing. I'm okay with that. But come on. you got to help me. I don't have time to wait until the purposes of God unfold in some in cosmic way, and then maybe you help me. Help me now. That's what she's saying. And he answered, as we've already quoted, it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Now, in the culture of that, that was not a put-down in the way that we feel like it is. It was just a, a, an image which was to describe that when you have bread, you have it for those that it's for. And she took that in as well. And you remember probably this incredible response. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Come on. Even in the purposes of God, yes, you're focusing primarily on the Jewish people, but even in that image that you've used, there's always a few crumbs that fall, and those puppies snaffle it up. If you've had a dog as I have, you know the accuracy of that word. It's better than a vacuum cleaner to have a dog just underneath the table. 
And so it is that, that Jesus, it says, then Jesus answered and said, oh woman, great is your faith. She got it. You see, I don't know if you noticed in the first passage that was read from Jeremiah 17, it was all about trust. Who are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in man or are you going to trust in God? And if you're silly enough to trust in man, then it even goes so far as to say you're cursed. God himself stands against you. But if you're wise enough to trust in God and God be your hope, your trust, then you're blessed. And this woman was blessed because she refused to believe anything other than Jesus cared for her and for her daughter. And even in the unfolding of his strategic actions, there had to be time for her daughter in the midst of that. And of course there was. It's all about faith. You see, faith is the key to the whole thing here. Trusting in God. It's interesting that Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, for without faith it's impossible to please God. For he I'm going to read it because I went blank. The Latin next phrase, it says, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's that woman, isn't it? She knew that Jesus was God. And actually, interestingly, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 15 she got it right before Peter did in Matthew 16 where he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. She's already got it. She already has made her assessment. She's already planted her trust squarely on this man that was standing before her. And she believed not only that he existed, but that he rewarded those who diligently sought him. And that's what she was doing. She refused to be dislodged. Silence and even strategic uh, words were not enough to remove her from her point of trust, personal trust. That's always been the case, the Bible says, and it will always be the case. You can't please God unless you trust him. Anything else is a slap in the face of God is to say, you can't be trusted, God. I trust myself or something else. To please God means faith. Secondly, it's the, the life of the Christian from beginning to end is a life of faith. For the righteous shall live by faith, the old prophet Habakkuk said, and Paul quoted in Romans 1. For the righteous shall live by faith. From beginning to end, from first to last, you start as a Christian with faith. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus, but you never stop needing to trust. And that's so the case, isn't it? In a way, God never seems, you know, you can't see him. And so sure, he helped me yesterday, but what has he done for me today? And what's he going to do tomorrow? And in fact, Hebrews 11 also says about the nature of faith that it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith trusts in one you can't see, that's God, and about things that have not yet happened.
big question mark on both. I don't see them. And besides, it hasn't happened yet. So I'd be foolish, maybe, or not. And you see, what faith does is it says the character of God is so real and so trustworthy. God's not fickle. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Numbers 23 says, God always keeps his promise. Therefore, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to act as if what he said is true. I'm going to step out as if he's real. I'm going to step out and believe he's bigger than any of the obstacles I, we face and act as if he's going to come through. That's what faith does. Seems to me, here at Holy Trinity, you're in the midst of a golden opportunity this Lent to grow in faith which always blesses and pleases God. This is a time, Lent, when falling in love with Jesus means trusting him more. How do you do that? How do you grow in faith? Do you just close your eyes and believe a little harder? No. Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no substitute for getting involved in this here book called the Bible. And as you do, unbeknownst to you, faith begins to grow in you more and more. Paul said in 2 Timothy to his young protege, continue in the writings you've heard and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've heard them, and that in them you find salvation. So you need the Bible to grow in faith. And then you need to step out on the basis of what you learn. I'm talking about this incredible project thing that's before you, this thing about the building, which you are all heading towards by God's grace. It's a big deal, huge project. But it's an opportunity to love Jesus more by exercising faith and believing God that he can and will deliver as he's promised. I thank God for Holy Trinity Marlborough. I thank God for what he's doing. I know that, that you know, there could be varying opinions on anything we're talking about. But at the end of the day, the critical issue is, can God be trusted? And when we say yes, then what Abraham did is he got up and he moved out. And it's interesting, you know, 25 years came and went and still no son still no child, and it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was in firm in faith, giving glory to God, and fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. That's at the heart of faith. So bless you this Lent, and bless you in these days of much soul-searching as you consider this thing before you. And I can assure you, I'll be praying with you all the way Please stand as we pray. Now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Amen. <laughs>